Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us. May your word bless us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, please go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 14. So last week, just like you all rightly said, uh, we stopped at verse 8. And in our deliberation, um, these were our salient points. Uh, we talked about true Christian liberty. One thing you have to understand is that when God calls us into salvation, he has called us into a life of Christian liberty. Amen. So try and remember that he's not called us into a lifestyle of rules or, or, or we should be legalistic. Now, it doesn't mean we will not have rules. Try and understand when I say that. What I mean is that the rules will not be the predominant factor in your relationship with God. Okay? Uh, the, the Pharisees, that was one of their problems. Instead of them focusing on a relationship, they focus so much on rules. I pray five times a day. You know, there were no bunch of people who prayed more than the Pharisees. Prayed five times a day. They fast twice a week. They tithed, right? They go, they go to the temple every Sabbath. Everything. All their relationship with God was not out of love. It was centered on rules. And that's not Christian liberty. Okay? We have to understand that God has called us first and foremost to have a relationship with him. The rules should not be the predominant factor why you should have a relationship with God. It's, there are two differences. On the other hand, if you look at Jesus, he also had a relationship with Jesus. He also had a relationship with God, but that was quite different. He didn't approach it from a religious mindset. And that's why when Jesus lived a life of grace, the Pharisees were so offended. They were so offended. They couldn't understand why he ate with sinners. They couldn't understand why he flowed in the way he flowed. Because even though Jesus Christ was not lawless, he also did not allow rules to become the predominant factor in his relationship with God. So when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, he has called us into a life of true Christian liberty. Okay, and what is true Christian liberty? True Christian liberty in this context is when we don't allow the law to superimpose or be in the middle of our relationship with God. So go with me to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. You see, so Christian liberty will not automatically come to you. I understand that. When you become a Christian, even though God has called us into a life of Christian liberty, it will not automatically come to you. You have to assert yourself to stand in the liberty wherein Christ has set you free. So Christianity is a life of liberty, but it's not a guaranteed 
um, automatic. Let me use that. You have to assert yourself to stand in the liberty that Christ has set you free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what's the yoke of bondage here? Is the yoke of bondage sin? Is the yoke of bondage demons? Is the yoke of bondage curses? No, the yoke of bondage is the law. All right? And why did Paul have to say this? If you read the four chapters, you will get a good idea on why Paul had to say this. You know, Paul had really taught the Galatian church on the gospel of grace, had taught them on true Christian liberty. He explained to them that if you want to be righteous, it's not by law keeping. It's by receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and you are made righteous. He spoke to them about, you receive the Holy Spirit, not because you are a Jew or you are a Gentile. It has nothing to do with nationality. It has nothing to do with whether you are of the commonwealth of Israel or you are a seed of Abraham. None of that. Receiving, the, receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior is because you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Re, I'm sorry, receiving the Holy Spirit in your life is because you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. It, it doesn't hang on nationality. So if you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, so when the Galatian church understood the framework or, or the central theme of the gospel, they did very well. All right? Miracles were flowing in their, in, their, in their meetings. And this is one thing that really ministers to me. A church that is legalistic would never experience miracles you will never experience the flow of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can only flow in a place where there is liberty. Where the law is at work, you restrict the movement of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For where the Spirit is Lord. Okay? The Holy Spirit has to be Lord. So when you, when you are in a church or even in your own personal relationship, you tend to overestimate, overvalue rules and what you think you do to be the predominant factor in your relationship with God rather than the Holy Spirit being the Lord of your life. You truly restrict his movement. You will not experience miracles. So this Galatian church, they were candidates of the supernatural because they were not entangled in the yoke of bondage. However, when Paul left, Certain teachers came into the church and infiltrated the church with wrong doctrine and preached opposite of everything that Paul preached and what he stood for. And they started to backslide. Now they forgot that, oh, okay, uh, it is not faith in Christ Jesus. It is because I'm a Jew. That's why I, I become a Christian. Or it's because of law keeping. That's why I become a Christian. And uh, they, they, went, they went real back into the yoke of bondage. And their current state was not a very good one. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3, I think verse 16. Let me just be sure. As someone has typed.
Give me one second. Let me check the scripture out. All right, it's rather Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter three. All right, let, let me read this then. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech like Moses, who put a veil of over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. All right, so I'm reading Second Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 12 into 17. Because the veil is taken away, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this scripture is actually talking about the law versus Christ. Which one has more glory? Um, and Paul explains his point very well that the ministry of Christ exceeds the ministry of the Old Testament because it has more glory. You understand? And, and one of the reasons why the, 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 the ministry of Christ has more glory than that of the Old Testament it's because of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says that the letter kills. You know, and when we are talking about the letter kills, I see people normally uh, quoting it wrongly. They, they think that when you emphasize strongly on teaching, it's the letter. No, the letter kills that is when you emphasize on teaching the word of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. But when you are a New Testament believer, you are supposed to emphasize on this. This is, what, this is what should be your emphasis. But it should not be, be bereft of the Spirit's influence. It should not be bereft of the Spirit's guidance. It should not be bereft of the Spirit's inspiration. Okay, so that, that's the only difference. When a legalistic person takes this and a Spirit-filled person takes this, the only underlying difference between both of them ministering is one is ministered by the help, by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, and this will minister. You understand? So sometimes I find it funny when people are quoting the scripture, people will say, the letter killeth. The, the letter doesn't kill. When you preach this without the Holy Spirit, without his assistance, without his help, then it will surely lead you to a place of death. And what does it mean when it says the letter killeth? It won't bring change to your life. That's why the Pharisees, even though they could minister, they could not really bring change to the life of the people. Amen. So that's what it really means. So like I said, God has really called us into a life of Christian liberty. And it's something that we have to assert ourselves into it and be mindful of it, lest we can be caught slipping. That's why the book of Galatians is written. So if you read the book of Galatians, it's a very sober warning to all of us who have come into uh, the gospel of salvation to be mindful that we should stand fast in our true Christian liberty, least we will fall in the way of the Galatians. Amen. So, 
the gospel of grace is offensive because it promotes liberty. And now there's a difference between liberty and looseness. Okay, so when I'm talking about liberty, it promotes us to freely worship the Lord without any restrictions, without any laws. All right, looseness on the other hand is you can live life anyhow. The gospel of grace doesn't promote that. It doesn't promote us to live anyhow because of Titus chapter 2. The Bible says that this grace of God has appeared unto all men. And why has it appeared unto all men? Because it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldliness, right? And it teaches us to live soberly, godly, and righteous. And then the sixth thing that the gospel of grace teaches us to do is that it teaches us to look forward to the blessed hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. So when we understand the gospel of grace, this is the true liberty I'm talking about. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with craving in or in, in indulging in the desires of our flesh. That's not liberty. We are really under bondage. Amen. So we are at liberty. That is, we are not under laws or any such thing. The, the, the predominant factor in our relationship with God is the Holy Spirit is Lord and we allow him to rule instead of our rule keeping and, and, and all that stuff. Amen. So two things that we learned in Romans chapter 14 when we were dealing with this subject last week was there are some things that we shouldn't have an apologetic stance you know, and in the Bible, when we use the word apology, apology just means in defense of the truth, all right? And apologetics is the art of defending the truth with scripture. It's not everything that we have to develop an apologetic stance, like the Bible say. So last week, we, we started with verse 1 of Romans chapter 14, which says that when we see a weak brother, and why is the person called weak? He might be called weak because he may be doing things which are doubtful. It's not necessarily a sin. But it is weak because he is weak in faith. Are you understanding me? Because sometimes when we use the word weak in faith, we might mean a brother who is sinning, a brother who is overcome by sin, a brother who is suffering or struggling or something like that. Yeah, when the Bible calls someone weak in faith, he might not necessarily be struggling in sin. It's just that he just doesn't have the faith to believe in certain things that you believe. That's why he's weak in faith. And the Bible tells us to accept such people and love such people and we shouldn't argue. Okay, so two things that the Bible explicitly told us in, in, in the eight verses we read last week. We shouldn't argue with them concerning food. Verses 1 to 4 and verse 6. It explicitly explains to us about food. You know, because in this context, you know, these were Gentiles mixed with Jews. Jewish people were very set in their ways. Even though they had received the gospel, they still didn't eat some things. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks to them about shellfish, uh, unleavened bread, and all those sort of things, and pigs, you know, they, they have things that they eat and things they do not eat. And they believe that if they eat certain things, they become desecrated, right, from a religious and a traditional mindset. The Gentiles, on the other hand, 
which are the Romans. They didn't have those restrictions. They ate everything before they even became Christians. And when they became Christians, it still didn't affect their palate choice. They still ate everything. Right? So, so, so that could be a bone of contention. And, and it explains to me that when we become Christians, one of the things we are going to fight strongly with is our cultural beliefs. Right? So even though the Jews were saved, they were still fighting with their culture. You know? And it's so funny how sometimes we allow culture and the word of God to be married together to cause confusion in our Christian work and our Christian faith with God. Amen. That's not, that's not really his will. So the Gentiles who were ministered to really understood the gospel of grace very well than the Jews who were slowly getting used to this gospel because it's never been preached to them. All their life, they've been known that if you want to be righteous, work for it. That's by obeying all the commandments, which nobody was able to do. Uh, there were certain foods that they deemed if you eat it, you become unrighteous. There were some foods when you eat, you become righteous uh, and, and stuff like that. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they had none of these things because the law was not given to the Gentiles. Mind you, Gentiles did not know the law. So for them, it was very easy for them to receive the gospel. They didn't have anything to unlearn. Do you understand? With, with, Roman, with, with the Jews, they had to unlearn and relearn. And that's why it's up sometimes. So Jewish people had a lot of adaptation to do to experience what was called the gospel of grace. That's why if you look at it historically, many of the Jews that even came into the faith it later on ended up backsliding. Because, you know, they were fighting too much with their cultural mindset, cultural beliefs, traditions from what they've learned from Moses and they are mixing it with this message that Paul is preaching. They couldn't seem to find a balance. That's why the book of Hebrews is written. The book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who, tend, who, who, who tend to be backsliding because they were struggling so much with, okay, there is Christ, but there is also Moses. There is the Old Testament tabernacle, but you are talking to us about the New Jerusalem. You know, they, they struggled with all these concepts because of what they knew, because of what the rabbis had taught them. And now they have received a new message from the apostles that sought to offend their senses a bit. Because in the, Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, Jews were seen to be very important and were seen to be all that because of their lineage. But in the Gospel of Grace, it de-emphasizes their importance and rather exalts who Christ is. So, so this is what they are dealing with whilst they are accepting their newfound faith. With, with the Gentiles, they didn't know any of these things. So it was very easy for them. Oh, if I believe in Christ as my Lord and Pastor, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm cool, blah, blah. So that, that was easy. So you see, there was a bone of contention between Jews who have received the gospel and Gentiles who have received the gospel. 
And one of the things that Apostle Paul calls doubtful was they were arguing about food. And Apostle Paul said, if someone eats meat, don't condemn him. Don't say he is a sinner. Because in, in that time, there were meats that were dedicated to temple gods. Right? So don't, don't say he's a sinner if he's eating meat. And then, if someone who decides not to eat meat, don't say he's weak in the faith. Just accept him as who he is. So as Christians, there are certain things we should not really argue about it. And last week, we talked about some of these things. Like, for example, I don't see the reason why we should argue about women wearing trousers. That's a doubtful thing. How would that add to someone's faith? Whether a woman should wear Brazilian hair or not. I mean, <laughs> these things are doubtful. You may not like Brazilian hair. She may like Brazilian hair. Just love it. Period. So it's not everything that we argue about. But if the person maybe begins to cast aspersions on the deity of Christ. Jesus is not the son of God. Jesus is not Lord. These are things that you have to have apologetic stances about. About the righteousness of God. I become righteous because I obey the Lord. These are things we need to be apologetic about and open by scripture. Well, there are some things we shouldn't really argue too much about it. Amen. And last week, we even gave a typical example. Someone gives you food and maybe the person is gay. If you eat it, you will not be polluted. There are some who want to make a big deal out of it all, but he's, he's same sex and all that stuff. Like we used the example last week, Pastor Jessica and I, we have taken drinks from homosexuals before. And we knew they were homosexuals because it was a gay pride. And when we finished, we preached to them. It's not a sin. Are you understanding me? Uh, you, you are thirsty about to die of water. I'm not coming to inquire of your, 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 your sexual orientation. Are you kidding me? I'm not under the law. I'm at Christian liberty. Amen. I'm free. I'm free to walk in Christian liberty. And sometimes this can serve as a great offense to the minds of religious people. So God really wants us to walk in true Christian liberty. Amen. The second thing that we talked about was a day of worship. That was also an argument. Like today is an argument. No. Traditional Jews believe that Saturday is the Lord's day because it's a Sabbath. Gentiles who not, you know, they, they, they were not privy to the law believe that the Lord's day is when the Lord resurrected, which was a Sunday. So you see, this was a bone of con- and we shouldn't argue about this. They argued about it, and Paul called it a doubtful thing. And we as Christians today, we shouldn't argue about it. We should be able to flow with everybody. If somebody decides to worship the Lord on Saturday, great. If someone wants to worship the Lord on Sunday, great. We choose to worship the Lord on Sunday, not because we are super spiritual. And they also choose to worship the Lord on Saturday, not because they are super spiritual. Because Colossians chapter 2 says that, do not judge any man on a day of worship. It's right there. Because all these things are shadows by the substance of Christ. So some of the things that we argue about are shadows. We should not be arguing about these things. Amen. So that's where we left off last week. 
And before we, go, we, we continue today, let me read Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. So go ahead to Colossians chapter 2. Let me start from verse 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceits, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So be very careful the philosophy you hear. You see, your philosophy can come from three sources, according to verse 8. Either from the tradition of men, number two, basic principles of the world, or number three, Christ. So what is your philosophy? Is your philosophy Christian philosophy? Because if it's Christian philosophy, it's based on this. Is your philosophy according to the tradition of men? Or is it according to the basic principles of the world? Because if we work according to the last two, basic principles of the world and tradition of men, the Bible lets us know we are cheated. Nobody should cheat you through empty deceits because of wrong sources of philosophy. So please, build your philosophy on the right thing. Verse 9, For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So now, let me go on to verse 16. Because now, verses 11 to 15 explains to us how we have been made free from the law. It talks about Christ dying on the cross and he taking the handwriting of requirements, which was against us. It wasn't for us. It was against us. And then verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Is so when we are talking about drink here, we are not talking about alcoholic or non-alcoholic drinks. We are talking about drinks dedicated to temple idols. Do you understand? Because in, in the Old Testament, there were certain drinks that were dedicated to temple idols. And when you drink them, you are polluted. So the Bible is saying that when you see someone eating food or drink which is dedicated to temple idol, don't judge him. And don't be quoting Daniel chapter 1. You know, in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible said that Daniel purposed not to defile himself with the king's portion. Why? Because it was dedicated to Nebuchadnezzar's God. And because he wanted to preserve his holiness... He, he decided to eat vegetables and not eat what was dedicated to temple gods. That's great. That's for a different dispensation. It's what we call a shadow. But now that we are in Christ Jesus who has fulfilled the law, we don't necessarily need to do that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So don't judge someone by food or, or by drink. Then he says that don't judge someone regarding a festival. Okay, so whether he keeps the the, the festivals, you know, there are seven main festivals in the Jewish calendar. Whether someone keeps them or doesn't keep them, it doesn't affect his righteousness. Are you understanding me? Don't, don't judge someone by a new moon. A new moon signifies a new month. 
where you, you bring in some special offerings. You know, it's, it's, it's borderline superstition. And sometimes I see that being practiced in the body of Christ. You know, we are in the, in the month of May. And May is number five. And five is the, the month of grace. And, and if you want to tap into the month, new moon. Okay? I can show you scriptures where you will see new moon practices. When it's a special month. And it's superstition. All right? I, I don't believe in all those things. I used to believe in them some time ago. Biblical numerology and all those. But I don't believe in those things anymore. And I thank God I'm delivered from, from such things. I, I don't really talk about nice, the number of you know, fruitfulness and all that stuff, 10, 10, you know, I, I don't do that. You will not hear me talking like that. It's a new moon. It's a new moon. And some of these things, we just do it just to get more offering and everything. It's, it's wrong. Amen. It's not right. New moon. Now, it says, don't judge people by the suburbs. Okay, so whether someone will worship Christ on Saturday or worship on Sunday, that's not the case. But that all these are shadows of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So as Christians, please know how to pick your theological discussions. Not everything should become a war or a battle. We have been called into true Christian liberty. And there's something you have to understand. It's going to offend religious people, but who cares? The Bible says that in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And thanks be to God for that, that when he died, he took away the handwriting of requirements. He blotted them out because they were against us so that we could live in true Christian liberty. Amen. So food and a day of worship, these are things we should not argue about. Amen. All right. Before that, who has any question or contribution? Who has any question or contribution? Okay. Let's start from verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Amen. So now Paul is talking about, hey, no need to fight over foods, no need to fight over a day of worship. In all this, try and remember that Christ died for us. He died for both the living and the dead. And we have to know this in effect, that one day we will all be judged. So why do you want to judge your brother now? Amen. And we should live our lives in such a way that one day we are going to give an account to the Lord. So don't pronounce judgment on a brother because he worships the Lord on a different day than you. 
don't pronounce judgment on a brother because he eats what you don't eat or he drinks what you don't drink. I always feel I have to qualify the drink. The drink here is not talking about alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It's talking about drinks dedicated to temple worship. You understand? So for example, if I see a, a brother at a gay parade and he's taking a drink which has been given to him, then I would say don't judge him. Has he sinned? No, he hasn't sinned. Are you understanding me? And it also doesn't mean you are advocating the lifestyle. Do you understand? So we, we have to get that real, real, real clear. Yeah. So sometimes some of the things that Christians we argue about in the name of being biblically correct are very petty and really unnecessary. Amen. We have to really stand and fight for the truth. But not everything is, is needful. Something are very needless. Especially when it comes to a day of worship and foods. Under the New Testament, there is no food that you can eat that will desecrate your body. None. Under the Old Testament, yes. Under the New Testament, no. That's why the Bible says that don't judge anybody by any of these things. All these things are a shadow of things to come. And the substance is of Christ. The reason why Daniel had to do what he did was because it was a shadow of things to come. All right? And it was a shadow of Christ's redemptive work that he will have to pay with his body so that you and I could be holy. And we'll be holy by not observing such things, but we'll be holy because we have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. So we have to understand the dispensations and why certain things are done. Amen. So remember, don't pronounce judgment because God is the one that judge. All right. One of the topics that's a bit thorny in the Bible is judgment. Does the Bible command us to judge? Yes. Okay, it commands us to judge. So we have to get that clear. Because sometimes people just quote Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. We say, judge not. And then we run with it. You have to look at the context and the setting and why Jesus said, judge not. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are said to judge and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, so Christians are commanded to judge. Get that very clear. We are. There are things that we can judge. There are about six things, biblically speaking, that we are commanded to judge on. Okay? But when it comes to something that does not really have an impact on the eternal salvation of a man, the Bible is saying judgment. Okay, so when it comes to food, don't judge. You might not eat pork for some reason, and someone is eating pork. Don't judge him and say yes. And do, you, do you understand? So let's try and get that clear. But when it comes to the issue of judgment, we, we are permitted to judge. Amen. So I, I think I should just make that clear. Amen.
because the 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 judge not it's just one truth but it's not the whole truth amen okay so we are done with verse 12 so um we finished with the first 13 verses whoever has any contribution or question could ask now before i'll tackle the rest amen I really want to make sure that we really get this Christian liberty thing very well. So if you have any questions, it's open and we, we can discuss. If you have any contribution to or something you've learned along these lines too, you are more than free or welcome uh, to share with us. Amen. All right, verses 14 to 22. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Amen. So, you, you see that Paul is talking about two things here. In the Lord, there is nothing unclean. But to the one who deems some things unclean, to him it is unclean. You understand? And now Paul is saying something that if you know a believer who is weak in faith, who will be offended or who will stumble because of, of these things, then out of love, don't, don't eat it to cause him to stumble. Amen. So now Paul is talking to the Gentiles. They don't like pork. And if pork is going to cause them to stumble in the faith, then fellow Gentile brethren, don't eat pork. Just so that our Christian liberty will not cause people to sin. So Paul now is talking about Living this Christian liberty respectfully, responsibly, and out of love. So the fact that we are supposed to live in true Christian liberty, don't, don't push the envelope too far to the point of offense. That's what Paul is talking about. Be, be mindful, be mindful of, of people. All right. So, like, let me just ask a typical example. I believe that there is true Christian liberty. But I still have to be guarded in my choices. Because of different levels of faith of different believers. Are you understanding me? 
Because there are some things I can do which is not necessarily a sin, but it could cause one to stumble. So what's the point of doing that? They they understand. Not not everything. So Paul is just one. So now Paul Paul is not just talking about food now here. He's talking about everything. And it says that do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So in as much that God has called us to a life of true Christian liberty, we have to make sure that it doesn't cause people to stumble. Amen. For example, people have asked me the question of alcoholism or, or drinking wine. Is it a sin or is it, is it not a sin? I, I always tell them, it will not send you to hell, but it's also not helpful. It's not, it's not, it's not. But for someone who is a new Christian who is trying to live the life of sanctification, it could offend that person and might even cause him to backslide. So think about these things. So don't let your Christian liberty offend people and put a stumbling block to their salvation. So in as much as God has called us to live a true uh, life of Christian liberty, be loving by thinking of your neighbor. That's why Apostle Paul goes on to say that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. It's lawful to do anything under the sun. But it's not beneficial in the sense that it could cause some people to backslide from the faith. And it's not a good testimony. You have let your good be spoken of as evil. It's all right. Amen. So, yeah, God has called us to live a life of true Christian liberty. But we should also approach it from a place of love. Because sometimes Christians too can be very selfish. How we understand the gospel of grace, we want to be too selfish and we are not thinking of people who have just come into the faith or people who are weak in the faith. And then if we if we do if we continue to do that, instead of us becoming an influence to them in the right way, we rather cause them to stumble and they leave the faith. Amen. So sometimes we, we, we have to learn to take baby steps with all of them and pray that maybe they grow to our level of faith before we can do certain things. Amen. So yes, Christian man, you, Christian sister, you are at liberty, but think of your fellow brother man or sister before you do some things. Amen. Okay. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So it's not about eating and drinking. Alright, that's not the kingdom of God. So even though, yes, we are called to a life of liberty, and uh, we are not censored, per se, in what we eat and what we drink, that is not the nature of the kingdom of God. We still have to be governed by righteousness, peace, 
Okay, we have to make sure that at the end of the day, we are reconciling people to God by our choices, even though we are living under Christian liberty and it's also joined the Holy Ghost. So let's try and understand that. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Uh, so as Christians, it's not just important to be approved or acceptable to Christ. It's also good to be approved by men. And when I'm saying that, it doesn't necessarily mean you should be a man pleaser. Okay? What, what, what this simply means is that you will be in the good graces of men. And that's also very important. Amen. Verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink, nor nor eat eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So now Paul is talking right here. Let's strive for peace. Okay. So so even though you have true Christian liberty, still be guided by your choices, by what you eat, what you drink. And what you do. And don't let it cause an offense and, and, and cause someone to stumble. Amen. So Christian liberty does not just end with I am under grace, I am not under the law, and therefore I can do everything. That's not the whole truth. It also has to be tempered, it has to be centered to be guarded. Make sure that whatever you are doing is out of love and you are not causing offense to somebody. And what's the offense? Cause someone to live the faith by maybe your lifestyle or whatever. Amen. One day I heard somebody again about something, you know, like, you know, a pastor, you know, went through something, you know, Messy situations, scandals, blah, blah, blah. And uh, what, what have you? But some of the things that people were arguing about, when I, when I check it with scripture, I'm like, oh, but it's a doubtful thing. But at the end of the day, his lifestyle caused people to fall. You, do, you, do you understand? And I don't even think I need to get into it. It's, it's, it's along these lines of, of some of these things. Amen. So be careful. Live life responsibly. You are under true Christian liberty, but let us approach it with love, thinking of the welfare of the weak person or the new convert. So it just doesn't talk about food and drink here. It's talking about everything we do. We shouldn't do things that will cause people to stumble or be offended or be weak. So are you free to listen to every kind of music? Yes. Every kind of music, yes. We are under true Christian liberty. But sometimes, consider the weak brethren among you. Those who are still developing in the faith. When, when they hear you singing certain songs, dancing certain, certain kind of styles, being at certain places, even though it might not be wrong, 
What does it communicate to someone who has just come into their faith? Don't cause them to stumble. Amen. So we have to be really guided by our choices. Don't be religious, yet don't also be too loose. Live a, a, a balance of true Christian liberty, which is guided by the principles of love. Amen. Verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Amen. So whatever we are doing, whether it's eating, drinking, blah, 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 don't do it under compulsion. Do it because you have faith in it. Because the Bible says whatever is not that of faith is sin. Amen. So if you don't eat pork because of some traditional or even quote-unquote religious belief attached to it, don't eat pork to impress me. Do you, do you understand? Because if you do that, you are not doing it out of faith and it's a sin. You get it? So let God be the judge of all. So as Christians, let's learn how to be harmonious with our Christian brethren. And know that everybody's spiritual level in their work with God is not the same. Some are babies, some are coming along, some are well advanced, so, you know, it, it, it affects your understanding of the gospel. It affects how you live your life. But at the end of the day, this word is also for people who are far more advanced in their work with God. Don't do anything that will cause your sister or your brother to stumble or backslide in the faith because you are at Christian liberty. You are at Christian liberty, but still let your choices be tempered and guided by love. Amen. God bless you. Questions, contributions, the floor is yours. how we have to be mindful of how not to offend others, especially someone who's new to faith, because it can, it can have a bad, bad um, outcome. How we present ourselves can um, influence someone to go the other way. Amen. Yeah, so true. Question or contribution? Yeah, I 
It's a minute to eight. Can one person just sum up what they've learned? I mean, Shaquana has summed up and Pastor Jessica has also summed up what they learned. So, can one person sum up? Don't even bother in summing up. Just what you learned. Because uh, it's, it's a minute to time. Summing up means you have to summarize everything from head to tail. Just what, what ministered to you? What did you take home? Amen. That's one person. No, I didn't. Oh, you, I think you cut off. Yeah. Sukana, you want to repeat? Sorry. Yes. Um, I think to sum it up, it's about not being judgmental. Okay. Uh -huh. Amen. So to sum it up. Yes. So to sum it up, uh, not being judgmental, and we should have balance. Amen. Okay. Pastor Robert, pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for um, our studies today. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that we'll be able to walk in the light of this revelation. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that you strengthen us in any area of our weakness, God. We continue to open our eyes to everything that we have learned today. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so two more chapters, and then we are done with the book of Romans. Amen. So God willing, I will see all of you in church next week, Sunday, and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you all for attending Bible study. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.